You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. Welcome. We're glad you're here. I want to invite you to grab your Bible and to get ready to study God's Word together. Man, can you believe we have taken another trip around the sun? Man, years go by so fast, right? But I hope that it was a good year for you. But what is a good year? Like, the word good is such a general word. It, it's, it's all relative, right? Like, for, for someone, a good, a good year might be a year that they didn't get arrested. <laughs> or for others, it might be uh, they had a good year because they got married this year, or a promotion. Or for others, it might be a good year because they didn't get a flat tire this year. But good is relative to the person and their situation, right? I remember growing up, we, uh, and, and greeting my friends, be like, hey, Ro, how are you doing? It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. But it's just a picture of life being good, Right? It's like a general statement. Like, if I'm having a good year and it's all good, that means that life is good. People have been in search of what it means to have a good life. So much so that Harvard did a study on it. And so if you ever want to know anything, Harvard has done a study on it. And this particular study, they they did over a lifetime. So it was a long time. They did the study. So they followed individuals and uh, tried to find out what made life so good. And from this study spawned a book called The Good Life. And this book is a New York Times bestseller. There's been several TED Talks uh, on this book. But it seeks to answer the question of what makes a happy life, a fulfilling life, uh, a good life. And what they found is What makes a good life is relationships. And I agree. Like, we shouldn't really be surprised by that. Because God created us to be relational beings. But with who? According to today's standards, uh, the good life is a life of living in comfort. Or you have very little or minute problems that you're encountering. Look at this guy, for example. This guy is living the good life. That's Cooper, come back Cooper, come back. Cooper is the latest addition to our family. Cooper is cute and cuddly, but when he came to our house, he was a maniac. Cooper got into all kinds of troubles, He made messes wherever he went, and life wasn't too good for him when he came into the Moody household. But look at him now. Like, look, he's groomed, he's cleaned, he's like, you know, has some obedience a little bit. He's had some help, and in that help and in the proper guidance, his attitude has changed. He's no longer getting into trouble. He's no longer suffering from his bad decisions. 
He's no longer making a mess wherever he goes because he's had some help with his behavior. Life is not perfect for him, but it is better. And it keeps getting better each day as he yields to the instruction of his master. And I can totally relate to this. Uh, my spirit man uh, was not always where it is right now. Like, I made some bad decisions, and I had to suffer the consequences of them. But God used these consequences to bring me to the end of myself so that I can determine that I needed help or that I needed a helper. Now I can say that life is good. And so as Christians, how do we live the good life? Well, from my own personal experience, I can say it is yielding to a good God. A good God who wants to help us. And we, and we see that in John chapter 14, verses 20, verse 26. We're just going to stop here for a minute. We're not going to be here today, but I just wanted to share this verse. This is the helper. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. God speaks to us through vessels, right? That being the pastor, each week we come here, we get a message it's from God's word. He's speaking to us. It might be through a small group or a growth group leader. He speaks to us. And the Holy Spirit helps us to remember everything that was said. This word helper in Greek means parakletos, which means one called alongside. Other definitions are counselor and advocate and strengthener. It also means someone who is suitable for the task. Someone who is suitable for the task. The Holy Spirit helps us to keep in step with God's will, uh, with his plans, his purpose for the church in our lives. This helps to lead, help us, the helper helps us to lead the good life. So if you haven't figured it out by now, the title to today's message is The Good Life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we get to come together and open up your word together and see what you have for us. And so God, I pray that you'll open up our hearts to hear what thus saith the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're gonna to be in Romans chapter eight, verses one through 11, and it talks about life in the spirit. And what we're gonna see in the text is three things. We're gonna see that the good life is the spirit-controlled life, the Christ-centered life, and the God-focused life. And as we go through the text today, it is my hope that we are encouraged and enlightened about what we see here. In the book of Romans, Paul is writing to the Romans <laughs> from the capital Greek city of Corinth in 57 AD. 
just three years after the 16-year-old Nero had come to power. The political situation was not bad at that point. It has not, had not progressed to what it would be in the future of a Christian suffering persecution. That came after the Roman fire, which was around uh, 67 AD. And it was said that Nero lit the fire because he wanted to rebuild the city with all of his images. But then he blamed it on the Christians. So it was perfect for him. He, he gets his name and his face plastered everywhere, and he can villainize the Christians. So Paul uh, was writing to a church that was experiencing relative peaceful time during this time, okay? But he felt they needed a strong dose of the gospel doctrine. And so in the book of Romans, he takes us down the road to righteousness. And so if you're familiar with the book, you'll see in verse in chapters one through three, it's all about sin. And then in chapters three through five, it's about salvation. And then when we get to chapters six through nine, which is we're gonna be in eight today, it's about sanctification. And in this section, Paul talks about the life of salvation and God's power in sanctifying believers through the Holy Spirit, in that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness, and we should have absolute security in the fact that those who are in Christ are righteous through Christ. So let's jump in the text, Romans chapter 8, I hope you're there, and what we're going to see in verses 1 through 4 is the good life is the spirit control life. Let's go ahead and jump on in. Uh, Romans chapter one through four. So everyone is very familiar with this first verse. I'm sure 90% of you have memorized this verse because it's so encouraging. It says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from in Christ, in Christ, that's important, in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that being in the flesh of Jesus Christ, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So here in verse one, there's a huge therefore right here. That therefore is huge. And we know, you, Harvest, you know as Bible scholars, Whenever there's a therefore, you have to go back to the previous text, okay? A few verses back. So we're going to do that. We're going to go back to Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 25. And so this is Paul uh, having some self-reflection time here. It's like an autobiography of a saved man who is battling with sin, all right? Because we know that 
he had a radical change on the road to Damascus with Jesus, right? And so this was around uh, mid-30s A.D., and so he's writing this now in 57 A.D., so this is about 20 years later, but he's chronicling his battle with sin. And what you'll see in the text here is that Paul has some eye problems. You see, there's a lot of eyes in there, which tells us that he's talking about himself. So he's reflecting on his own sinful nature. And so this is what he says. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, (laughs) right? Have you been there? I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Huge question here. Who will deliver me from this body of death? We're going to answer that question later on in the text. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's he's worshiping now, right? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. You see the battle here. Do you sense the struggle Paul here is realizing his own sinfulness and inability to keep the requirements of the Mosaic law by his own efforts. So you have to realize that Paul, from childhood, was raised to love the Mosaic law. But when he was saved on the road to Damascus, he felt as though he could keep the law in his own strength. And by his own effort, simply by the virtue of being a regenerated man. Notice what he says here. He says that he desired to keep the requirements of the law. Like he says, he says, even when I want to do right, evil is close at hand. He knows right from wrong. So he knows better. He wants to do better. He wants to do right, but evil is still close at hand. And he lacked the power to defeat sin in his own life. But it seems as though the law stirred up the sin activity in his life because he had knowledge of it, right? And God used the law to bring Paul to the end of himself and the end of his self-efforts to want to do so to teach him to trust in the Holy Spirit to accomplish the impossible for him. Even Paul experienced this feeling of defeat and discouragement. Every Christian who has sought to be honest with himself has found the sinfulness of his own being. And that's what's happening here. I'm sure many of us can relate to this, right? When we are saved, we're excited, right? We want to preach to the mountaintops that Jesus Christ is Lord and you need to be saved. It's an exciting time, and it should be. But as we begin 
to take this walk and we start to see what God's requirements are. We begin to see God's standards of Christian living and our inability to meet those standards. We realize that even after we're saved, that we are utterly unable to live a Christian life on our own in our own strength. And these, self, these times of self-reflection shows us our own sinful nature. And in this, it, it, it can be very discouraging. We can feel defeated or even in a place of despair or inadequate or not worthy. Not worthy to serve in the church. Or not worthy to pray to the Lord. Or not even worthy to come to church sometimes. And some people will put up a good front, pretending like, yeah, how are you doing? It's all good. It's all good. But knowing on the inside that they struggle and they battle, not realizing that this is the normal experience that all Christians go through to bring us to the end of ourselves. But even in this state, there's a helper. The problem is that many of us go through this or are going through this season of feeling inadequate, not feeling worthy when God is trying to use it to bring us to the end of ourselves, to further rid us of the Adam nature and build up the new nature of Jesus Christ living on the inside of us. God never intended Christians to be constantly defeated and he never expected us to live this Christian life in our own strength. But as we discover our sinful nature, it should yield a greater dependence on the Lord. As we discover who we are in our sin nature, it should make us run to the house of God to worship greater and to have an utter dependence on the Lord through the help of the Holy Spirit. When we understand that we cannot make it without him, it should spark this yearning for a deeper relationship with him that draws us near to him. Sin doesn't go away when we become, when we become believers, and Paul shows us this. As believers in Jesus Christ, who can identify with Paul's struggle, the struggle does not mean that we are unconverted or lost. The reality is Christians battle with sin and our life is gonna be a battlefield until we are called to glory. But guess what? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no judgment now or ever. Our position in Christ sets us free from the compelling power of the evil flesh. And Paul shows us this in verse two. And I wanna hone on this for a minute here. Verse two, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We have been set free. This word set free here is like the Emancipation Proclamation when the slaves were set free. 
when you are free, you're free, okay? When the slaves were freed, they didn't come back to their master two months later and say, hey, you know what, this whole freedom thing, it's not working out for me, so can you put the shackles back on? I'm ready. When we are set free, we're free. Someone whose life sentence has been overturned is not gonna show up to prison and say, hey, warden, hey, lock me back up. I wanna serve life. This life of freedom is not good for me. Freedom means capable of movement. It means not shackled to anything. It means unrestrained. And although the act of setting free results in freedom and liberty, it's not a license to sin. In fact, true liberty for believers is now living as we should, not as we please. Because once you are set free, you are set free. Jesus talks about this freedom or being set free in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. So Jesus is talking to the Jews, and these are Jews who were believers. <laughs> and he says, uh, says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And then the Jews answered him, we're the offspring of Adam and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say that we be, will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Well, let's stop here for a second. So anytime Jesus repeats something, you need to listen up, okay? So he says, truly, truly, attention, Christians, attention, believers, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains in the house forever. And the house is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So our bodies. So he's talking about we have been set free. So the slave is gone and Jesus now resides. And so if Jesus resides in you, you are in Christ. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Those are the words of Jesus. And those are words that we can take to the bank. We are no longer slaves to sin and death. God changes us on the inside with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which now compels us towards God and obedience through his word. Look at what Paul says in verses three and four. He says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And whenever you see four, we saw it in verse two, the explanation 
is presented for the previous verses. And so in the full sense, only Christ has fulfilled all of, laws, of the law's requirement. So when we are in him, we begin to live the kind of life that God would have us to live. Notice Paul doesn't say that we fulfill the righteous requirement, but the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us. Surely pointing to the work of the Holy Spirit in a believer. The righteous requirement. God requires righteousness. But we are not righteous. So what did he do? He sent his son to die for us so that the righteous requirement can be fulfilled through Jesus Christ but in us. The Spirit helps us to not steal or kill or commit adultery. The Spirit helps us to love our neighbor as ourselves. The key to having love is a Spirit-filled walk person that's walking in the spirit, God is working in him and producing righteousness. Paul writes to the Galatians, um, in the book of Galatians, of course, <laughs> to counter those who taught that Christians must be circumcised to be accepted by God. But Paul is encouraging the Galatians in the book, but he writes about the contrast between someone who walks in the flesh and someone who walks in the spirit in Galatians chapter five, verses 16 through 25. It says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit of God. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposite to each other to keep you from doing the things that you wanna do, right? We, we wanna do what's right. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And this is the works. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And then he says, I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he goes into talking about the fruits of the Spirit. He says, but the fruits of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patient and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the big one, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, Paul says, let us walk by the Spirit. 
And the only way to not gratify the flesh is to do just that, to walk by the Spirit. And walking by the Spirit is this picture of abiding in Christ. Remember, Jesus says that you abide in me and I will abide in you. That is that regular maintenance that we do in our relationship with the Lord is we're opening up his word and spending time with him, resting in the Lord. Jesus said, come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. But even saved people fall into sin. But we don't, persi- we don't persist in it. It doesn't become a habit. We fall down, we get back up again. So the role of the Holy Spirit is to accomplish in us what the flesh could never do. And that is to build righteousness in us as we walk in the Spirit, as we walk with Christ. And so now we'll see the result of the Holy Spirit living in us in point two. As the Holy Spirit lives in us and we are walking with the Spirit, we should live a Christ-centered life. And we see that in verses five through eight. Paul says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit sets their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so here Paul introduces these two minds, the minds of the flesh and the minds of the spirit. And so the mind of the flesh is the mind of Adam, actually. And then the mind of a spirit is the mind of someone who is in Christ. The whole idea is that the orientation of the natural man's thinking is always directly towards things that pertain to the flesh. And that kind of thinking focuses on the physical and the material and the self, of course. The physical is the here and now. Like the person who is like, man, I got to live my best life and I got to live it now. I have to do all of the things that I saw that guy do on Instagram because I, I, I want to live my best life. The mind of the material is in possessions, like your God is your boat or your God is the fill in the blank. Your God is things and your money, and that's what makes you. And then, of course, the self is self-explanatory. But Paul says they set their mind on the flesh, or they set their mind on the spirit. And to set one's mind means to be intent on, or to keep giving serious consideration, or to ponder, to dwell on, to fix your attention, to devote your total realm of thinking, 
for thoughtful planning with an emphasis on a particular attitude. We see the same meaning in Colossians, but in Colossians, Paul is encouraging the believer to have their minds set on this. And he says, again, same meaning, set your minds on things that are above. Not the things that are in the ceiling here, but the things that are above. He's talking about heaven, not on the things that are on earth. And for someone who has their mind focused on the things that are above, are devoted to the things that are above, is less likely to fall into the trap of sin. The fleshly mind is filled with thoughts that center around ways to gratify the flesh. But what a change is manifested in the lives of those who have been redeemed, who have their minds set on things of the Spirit, who has their minds set on things that are above. Although they falter from time to time, their minds are filled with thoughts of heaven, with heavenly thoughts. These are people who love God and love all of the things that pertain to God. They love God's word. They love God's people. They love gathering together in God's house. They love worshiping the Lord. And the contrast between these two mind states that Paul is presenting to us today is like the difference between an FM station and an AM station. The mind of a flesh is like an AM station. The reception's not so good. There's not a lot of options there. It's like a focus, tunnel vision. You can only listen to the station that you can receive wherever you are. But the FM station, whoo, you can hear that from anywhere. Loud and clear. As a follower of Christ, we want to be able to listen and hear God loud and clear. We want to hear what thus saith the Lord. We want to know what decisions we should be making in our own lives. And so in this contrast between the lifestyle uh, or the mindset of someone who is in the spirit, Paul is saying that those who have their minds set on the spirit has grace and peace. It speaks to a life that is in reverence to God and submitting to God. And on the contrary, a mind that's set on the flesh is submitting to its own will and what's good for them and what they can fit into their schedule focuses not on God for them. But those who have their minds set on the spirit life, they live a God-focused life, which brings us to our last point. And we see that in verses 9 through 11. And these verses take a hold of the question of our salvation. Let's take a look at it together. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. 
Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life because of righteousness, I'm sorry, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What an encouraging picture for those who are in Christ. And here in verses 9 and 11, we have the full answer to the question that Paul asked in Romans 7, verse 24. Remember in the beginning, he said, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And it's answered here. The basis of deliverance is clearly the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But here in verses 9 through 11, we'll see three things that follows those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. The first thing is that we are no longer in the flesh, okay? No longer bound by Adam, but now and forever in the Spirit. Verse 9 says that. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. And here Paul is saying, you, however, Christian, which more literally means, but as for you. He's like, is this mic on? Christian, are you, are you listening to me? But as for you, you are not in the flesh. We're not in Adam. We are in Christ. We are set free. We don't go back. We cannot allow the flesh to influence us. We are not in it. We are forever in the spirit. Second thing is that we are alive forever. Paul says in verse 10, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And this is a practical truth for us in our struggle with the flesh. It says, although the body is dead, because of sin. This body that we live in is dead. The forces of death work in it. The lust of the flesh also abide in this body and it's dying. However, the spirit is alive. And through the spirit is righteousness. Because the Holy Spirit of God, the helper, lives in us. Our spirit is alive. And then verse 11 Those who have the Holy Spirit in them have a glorified body to look forward to. And we see that here in verse 11. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. These verses reassures those who are in Christ Jesus that we will live forever and reign with him in glory when he returns. What an encouragement. We are in the spirit and we're not in the flesh. And Paul knows this from personal experience. He testified 
of it in chapter 7. I would encourage you guys to go all the way up to the beginning of chapter 7. He's, he's having uh, some more serious conversation and some more serious self-reflection. But those who are in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation. All things have passed away. So it's my hope that this year would be a year that we take a deeper look at our personal walk with the Lord. And open up Galatians chapter 5 and look at the characteristics of someone who is in the flesh and someone who is in the spirit. And do a self-evaluation of our walk like Paul did here. Let this be the year that maybe we take on some spiritual healthy habits that we didn't do in 2023. Maybe this is a year that we turn up the heat on our prayer life. Or maybe we add fasting to that. I found that in some of my biggest struggles with sin, that fasting has had a major impact on defeating those things. I would encourage that. I would encourage that we make some intentional time to make the Sabbath a regular habit on our calendar. And the Sabbath isn't just, okay, I'm off on Sunday, so that's my day of rest the Lord says not to work on the Sabbath. Yeah, Old Testament Lord says that. Yes, he does. We, the Sabbath is two parts. It's stop working, stop going to travel, whatever, and spend time with the Lord. Jesus says in the New Testament, in several books of the gospel, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He says, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are we resting in the Lord? We stop work, we rest in the Lord. We abide in Christ. And then the last thing, let's lay down our struggles. Let's lay them down at the altar. Let's confess it to someone that we trust who can come alongside us and pray for us and encourage us. And I know some of you are like, man, you know what? I don't know, Pastor. I got a busy schedule, man. Like my work schedule is crazy. We got travel, whatever. I don't know if I could do this. In fact, I don't feel it. If you are in Christ and you believe in God's word, it's not about our feelings. It's a matter of walking and following the Lord and being obedient to his word. If you look at any pilot who flies by the seat of his pants, and that term means that these are pilots that don't like using the instruments. So they fly by the seat of their pants. They fly by what they see out the window. But when fall comes, uh, you can't really see out of the window. And so some pilots that fly by the seat of their pants, when they are put in front of the instruments, instead of obeying what they feel and what they believe, it's hard for them. They crack up. 
so too the spirit man may crack up doing what it feels and allowing those feelings to dictate their actions rather than doing what the instruments indicate. Paul is urging us, do not believe your feelings. Believe that the instrument of God's word with the help of the Holy Spirit Nothing else matters. Nothing is more important than leading a spirit-controlled life, a Christ-centered life, and a God-focused life. As followers of Jesus Christ, that is the good life. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and how it instructs us and encourages us. And God, I, I pray that going into this next year, we can take some of the principles that you are teaching us in Romans, in the entire book of Romans, actually, and apply them to our lives. I pray that you will constantly, every day, hold up the mirror of our sinful nature in front of us so that we will come to the end of ourselves. Lord, I pray that in 2024, Harvest Bible Chapel will lay down the struggles at the altar. Every person here and surrender to your will and embrace the indwelling of the Holy Spirit this helper that is so important and integral for the believer who is in Christ Jesus. So God, we thank you for your grace and kindness in sending us a helper. May we never take it for granted. May we never just lay it by the wayside and set it on a shelf and not embrace what you've given us as help. And so, God, we thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org.